This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, Stackers, we got a great episode for you. But guess what? Southern California, we're coming to see you Tuesday night, August 22nd. That's this coming Tuesday, if you're listening to the show when it goes out. 6.30 p.m. local time. We'll be at McFadden's in Anaheim, California. Come see us. We're bringing the whole gang who works on the show behind the scenes. If you follow us on social media, you'll meet Shannon. If you've ever taken one of our courses or you've listened to The Green Room, you know Kathleen, our business partner. And guess what? Richie, who puts all these shows together, Richie Rutteris is going to be there too. So Shannon, Richie, Kathleen, and I, we're all out there for Podcast Movement, and we want to meet you. So here's what you do. Just tell me that you're coming. Hit me up on social media or uh, shoot me an email, joe at stackybenjamins.com and uh, just make sure we have enough room for everybody. All right, we'll see you at McFadden's next Tuesday, but let's get to this episode, huh? Hey, this is Pete the Planner, USA Today money columnist and host of the Ask Pete the Planner podcast. When I'm not fixing the weirdest financial situations you've ever heard of, I'm stacking Benjamins. Hey everyone, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this is The Stacking Benjamin Show. On today's show, it's National Tell-A-Joke Day, and man, can we do that down here in the basement. But first, we got a guest star who's no joke, here to talk about the perfect financial planning process from henfruit.com. Certified Financial Planner, Jason Mirabella. Also, during our headline segment, we'll talk about the state of financial markets with iShares analyst, Tushar Yadav. Plus, we have headlines, My Amazing Trivia, and we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a listener who's up to his eyeballs in... questions. But first, did you hear about the guy who invented Lifesavers? They say he made a mint... Oh, man, I should tell you, last night I dreamed I was a muffler, and this morning I woke up exhausted. And now, here come your hosts, two guys who don't understand the value of amazing jokes, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J. I'm not sure I get the lightsaber one. What's the lifesaver? Oh, hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of OG Doesn't Understand the Joke. <laughs> I am Joe C. I average your money on Twitter. And- oh, mint. I got ah, it. Okay. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Welcome to the show, man. It is Wednesday hump day, and we've got a phenomenal show for you today. But first, you know what we got, OG? More corny dad jokes. We. Believe it or not, we can do that. 
And I'm sure knowing where Doug usually goes when he finds out what day it is, uh, he's probably going to deliver. But first, let's take a second, OG, to talk about how you can start earning passive income by investing in rental properties through Roofstock. Sound like fun? Roofstock's an online marketplace for buying and selling tenant-occupied homes. And whether you're in California or New York, Roofstock makes it efficient and hassle-free to diversify your portfolio and invest from anywhere in high-yield markets like Atlanta or Memphis. They lay all the property reports and financials at your fingertips. Every property is thoroughly vetted by the Roofstock certification team so you know it's in good condition with a reliable tenant already in place. Best of all, Roofstock certified properties are backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. How Do you go to a closing for a house, OG, and they give you a 30-day money-back guarantee? <laughs> That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be nice. But Roofstock does that. So guess what? Whether you're a seasoned investor that wants help with just one of those areas or you're somebody that uh, is brand new to the game, Roofstock is property investing made simple. Visit stackybenjamins.com forward slash Roofstock. That's stackybenjamins.com forward slash Roofstock to learn more about rental, home, investing, and browse exclusive listings today. And also on Wednesday, this here show is brought to you by Magnify Money because you know what? We comparison shop everything in our life. Why don't we comparison shop the stuff that we use to get all that stuff, right? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money is the place that we go. And on Friday, I usually take a look at what interest rates are, and I totally forgot to do that this last Friday. So let's pull that up, OG. I go to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, and it's been the highest interest rate on savings accounts lately has been 1.4. And so I click savings accounts and I look and guess what? It's still 1.4. We got one at 1.4 dollar savings direct and then one at 1.35 that's live Oak. And then 1.3. What I like best is that we get a fine print score showing the grade and dollar savings. How complicated direct. it is. Yeah. Very transparent. It says gives it an A. $1 is the minimum balance and 1.4%. So if you're at a brick and mortar bank earning 0.0000, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Also go there for cashback rewards, secured credit cards, checking accounts, link checking and savings accounts, CD rates, personal loans, student loan refinance, and a ton more. The whole kit. And caboodle. It's all there. Let's fire up this show, man, because we got Jason Mirabella talking about the best way to do the financial planning process. And oh, gee, this is this guy singing off your song sheet. So we're going to love talking to Jason Mirabella, I'm sure. But first, we got some headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. First headline comes to us from Napa-Net. This is the National Association of Plan Advisors. They're the people that manage retirement plans, right? And always have a great blog over here. This is a conundrum, OG. I wanted to get your take, which is why we're doing this headline today. Is recommending higher contributions a fiduciary act? The Labor Department's fiduciary rule, RFI, touches on but doesn't yet resolve a key question. A recent blog post by noted ERISA attorney Fred Reich notes that in the Labor Department's request for information on the fiduciary regulation, the Department of Labor asks this, should recommendations to make or increase contributions to a plan or an IRA be expressly excluded from the definition of investment advice? 
Should there be an amendment to the rule or streamline exemption devoted to communications regarding contributions? And if so, what condition should apply to such an amendment or exemption? Let's go over why this is a problem. Let's go over because this is a problem, right? This is a problem. So if it's in the client's best interest as a financial advisor that somebody save more money, it can also be construed that it's in the advisor's best interest because they might get paid more based on the person having either a higher base of assets or the fact that they're putting money in and there might be, you know, there might be some type of structure that allows them to get more money because they put more money in. So where do you draw the line on you tell somebody to contribute more money? Are you fiduciary or are you not a fiduciary? I was thinking about it from the approach of when you've got competing goals and you've got retirement and college and, you know, whatever, debt payoff, let's say. You have to act as a fiduciary as it relates to the retirement plan. So do you have to act as a fiduciary as it relates to the retirement planning in a silo compared to the rest of the other goals, whereby you would say, well, you have to put all of your money in retirement, otherwise you're not going to have enough to heck with college and your debt pay down strategy. Because in this sleeve of, of work, you know, I'm judged by a different standard, you know, according to the law. Whereas from a financial planning standpoint, of course, that I think is the big piece is that everything isn't a silo. Everything works together. Right. You, know, you make judgment calls based on all the competing priorities. So the difficulty then, though, is if somebody's trying to do oversight on an advisor to see if they're acting in a fiduciary capacity, what you just said makes it a mess to prove either way. To be fair, because this DOL ruling is so... It's new. It's in. It's new and it's quasi-enforced, but really the teeth of it don't start until the end of the year or the beginning of next year. And there's still a little scuttlebutt that it just goes away completely. I haven't spent a lot of time working through, you know, the intricacies of all the extra stuff that we have to do because we don't have to kind of have to do it on a good faith basis right now is kind of what they say. But we're fiduciaries anyway by virtue of the work that we do. But so I don't need a Department of Labor ruling to make me do it that way, if that makes sense. But boy, it's complicated. It is. You know, it, there's just so many. It, and I don't know where the enforcement comes from. You're talking about enforcement. I don't know. Does a... Department of Labor person show up in the office to do an audit someday? Wearing a sheriff's badge? Yeah. Or, you know, I, I can't imagine. Let's I can't look imagine at it. That's going to be the case. Let's but. look at this. You know, we have a small community of people that listen to the show that are on the advisor side and like geeking out about this. But let's talk about it from the average person's perspective. Your advisor tells you you should probably save more money into this plan. What are some of the questions you should ask yourself before you follow that advice? Well, I guess the biggest thing is, do you get paid differently? But gosh, I just, I really fail to see how it would be not in the investor's best interest to save more money. Well, yeah, but you know, my first thought was actually a little different than, than even do they get paid. It's that does putting money in this plan help me reach my goal? Because if it doesn't, like how many times have you seen people say, how would not saving, how, how would saving more money not help you reach a goal? Dude, let me give you an example. Let's Please. say, let's say I've saved plenty of money for retirement, retirement, mm -hmm. the retirement aspect looks good. And my 401k person is telling me to put more money inside the 401k, which is, you know, there's ways to get it, but for the most part it's locked up. And I really, I've been telling my advisor, I really want a new house five years from now. 
it's going to cost me more money or I want a second home, let's say. But the advisor is really pushing me to put more money in the plan that their name's on. Okay. So I'm saving in the wrong spot for the wrong goal. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not sure that the Department of Labor, this fiduciary rule with the Department of Labor affects that in any way. But clearly the advisor is not working in a fiduciary capacity when they're telling me to do this. But the Department of Labor ruling isn't about your financial planning goals. It's about that retirement asset itself. No, 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 no. Well, yes. Yes, yes. it does. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, when I say no, 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 I'm not saying no, 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 it isn't. I'm saying no, 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 that's not what I'm trying to do here. What I'm trying to do is say, okay, we've got people listen to the show that can geek out about this rule. I'm not worried about that. Oh. I'm not worried about that. What I'm saying is if your advisor tells you to save in X plan, what are the questions you should ask yourself? And I think that's a big question. Does saving into this particular plan, does that actually go along with the plan, right? Is this the best place for me to save right now? How does this help me reach all the goals that I have? How many times have you seen uh, somebody who, well, and there's this scheme going on right now that you and I have both seen, where people are saying, don't save into your 401k, save into a whole life insurance policy, right? That's been going on for 30 years. I know, but there's a new one. There's a new, oh, new one. There's a new one? There's a new, new one. Yeah. I haven't seen that And one. it's absolutely- I got to get me some of that. It's it absolutely phenomenal and nothing can go wrong until it does. Oh. Oh, well, or, if nothing can go wrong. Yeah. Until it does. But the cool thing is until that happens, nothing will go wrong. So <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. A lot of moving parts. I still think that everything boils down to what do you want to do? What's the- plan that you're working on with your advisor, with yourself and money has to serve, you know, money has to serve the plan. Right. And if you don't have a plan of here's where, you know, here's what I want to accomplish in my life financially, then yeah, you end up throwing money in weird spots and then going, well, right. shoot, if I'd have known that I'd have done it a little differently. Absolutely. Um, and I think that too many people just focus on the money piece or this minutia of a law or something like that instead of looking at the big picture. So, And in our second headline, BlackRock's Investment Institute has just released its mid-year global investment outlook. And guess what? There's good news here to explain from the iShares America's Capital Markets team. Vice President Tushar Yadav joins us. Welcome to my dad shortwave, man. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having us. Well, so, so what is the good news in your mid-year global investment outlook? Uh, well, the, the good news is is that we think the global expansion has uh, a lot more room to run at the moment. Uh, you know, we're not of the view that many people have that economies uh, and, and bull markets die of old age. We think that this one's got a lot left to run in it. And we think that the direction for markets is moving in a, in a higher and less volatile sort of direction. And so uh, we think through the end of the year, there's good news ahead for investors. This market has been good for so, so long, as you know, Tushar. So what is it? What data points to the fact that you think that this market will continue to expand? There's a couple of things that we look at, and I'm not going to get too you know, crazy in the sort of uh, the, the different modeling and jargon that we sort of look <laughs> through. But I think what we've realized is if you just look back through this cycle, um, whether you compare it to previous cycles, whether you sort of want to just look at it in isolation, a lot has happened that could have really upset the apple cart. And it hasn't. Right. And I think you've seen the data continues to come in, you know, fairly strong when we do have blips. They're generally sort of uh, fairly well explained and they work themselves out. Um, and that's the nature of a, a fairly open economy that is very resilient to sort of, uh, you know, 
internal and external developments as they come through. And, you know, as we look at that, that tells us that this economy is on pretty solid footing and has been for some period of time. And then, you know, we look at all the signs of what would say that the economy is overheating or near sort of full capacity. And, you know, you have to pay more for just the nth thing or job. And we're just not, we're not close to that at the moment. There's still good levels of slack everywhere. That means that we have room to expand. And the expansion itself has not been, you know, gangbusters, but it's, it, it, it's ground along. And we think that that just continues, uh, continues to play out in front of us, uh, you know, absent some absolutely crazy shock that uh, no one sees. Because when we look at all the data in front of us, we just don't see this boogeyman hiding around the corner that I think a lot of people tend to be worried about Maybe that's just the scar tissue from uh, from the last decade still not healing. <laughs> well, maybe my next question has to do with that scar tissue, Tushar, because I want to talk about volatility. The VIX, the volatility index, as you know, has been incredibly low. And we get lots of questions on the show, people saying, does that bother you that volatility has been so low for so long? I'll ask you because you're the expert there. Does it bother you that volatility has been so low for so long? I will tell you that uh, we did a lot of work around this because it's one of the few things that when you, you have a positive outlook and you go out there and you talk about it, um, you know, it's that uh, maybe there's that mental scar tissue, I guess, because the, the only pushback that we got, and one of the real few changes we made to our outlook from the start of the year to the mid-year is to answer this problem that people keep presenting us to saying that volatility is low, therefore it's unnaturally low. Um, and because of that, you know, that there is going to be something that goes wrong. And when it reverts, and then you'll have this big problem. I will tell you now, and I hope that everyone sort of takes this on board, volatile, you know, the VIX especially, uh, which is the, you know, in technical terms, uh, the weighted average sum of puts and calls and all the stocks in the S&P 500. All it is is exactly what it says on the tin, right? It, it's not something that should be the fear index or misbranded. And I say that the only thing that I think it's a real good leading indicator or coincident indicator for is financial press ratings on TV and online, because um, outside of that, we don't see volatility as this mean reverting concept. You know, actually, when you look at it and you look at it over long periods of history, as we have, um, there isn't a single simple sort of equilibrium level. Um, you know, it, it doesn't sort of oscillate around that. We find that it is actually a regime driven concept. And when you're in a low volatility regime, which we've been in, by the way, for about 80% of the time over the last 140 odd years, you know, when you're in a low volatility regime, it's incredibly persistent. And the probability that it switches to a high volatility regime um, is actually quite low. And it's mostly driven by economic volatility um, and big changes in the economic data. And it makes sense, right? If the economy is doing well, then it's easier to sort of price stocks and understand the direction of where markets are going. Um, maybe you don't get it exactly right, but you have a general idea. And I think that's been the case over the last 10 years or seven or eight years in, the, in this expansion cycle. So, you know, when we sort of hear this volatility pushback to us, it's something that the data just simply doesn't bear out. And, you know, when we look at it as a concept, we think that it is persistently low at the moment. And that's because it's in a regime of low macroeconomic volatility. I've got one last question for you, Tushar, before we have to let you go, which is about sectors and regions. You know, at iShares, you guys have both broad indexes and sector plays and regions that people can invest in. Is this the type of market where I go more narrow with sectors? It sounds like you're saying that you're looking broadly, like broadly things are going to be good across the board. Joe, I'll tell you, it's a function of the backdrop that we're in, right? This is a good environment for, uh, for markets and for asset prices. It has been for a while. Some of that is directly related to central bank policy that sort of helped guide that higher. 
but don't sort of miss the bigger picture where, you know, at the, at the broad level, it's definitely done better. There's been winners and losers every year, uh, and they've been very, very easily easily isolated by sectors and industry groups, um, and even within countries, right? Uh, if you look at across sort of where the regions of the world that have done quite well, the emerging market complex for one, um, you're seeing sort of some of the big emerging markets do really well this year. And, you know, some of the smaller ones, you know, maybe seed some of the gains we think driven by, you know, a stronger global expansion. It's a very synchronized uh, moment in time for the expansion. But also, you know, it, it does show that, you know, beneath the surface, uh, there is still some movement going on. And I think what's really, really important to take away from this is, look, if you're investing in a broad level, right, being in the market is, you know, job number one. I think having good sort of broad, defined, diversified exposures is job number two. And then I think, and, you know, this is where a lot of my conversations with clients come in, is if you want to sort of drill down to uh, individual exposures, if you want to think about things from a sector level and say what's powering the U.S. economy at the moment, it's technology names, where is their pricing power, is that in the healthcare side, uh, where is their loss of pricing power, is that on the energy side? You know, those are discussions that we then start to have with our sector products. And, you know, we have some great subsector funds um, that cover those areas, right? We've got like the, uh, the, the SOX uh, that covers the semiconductors index. That's been very sort of interesting this year. We've got home builders and the ITP sort of covers that. And we've got the energy names and we've got the healthcare names like biotech and IPP. And then right. uh, when we look internationally, we have a whole bunch of them as well. So it's really about getting your exposures narrowed if you're already well diversified and broad in your exposure. Awesome. Tashar Yada from iShares America's Capital Markets team. Thanks for joining us. Joe, thank you so much for having us. We don't want to call a market, but you tend to uh, be on the same uh, song sheet as Tushar. Well, yeah, there's no way to predict what tomorrow holds. I guess I would be more thinking about the longer term anyway. You know, is the market higher in 20 years from now? I think probably, yeah. yes. So, I think the bigger thing for us than uh, anything about the second quarter really is, and by the way, thanks to Tushar for, uh, for coming down to, the, to talk about that. But the bigger thing is what you said earlier, and I think it's a big lesson is do what serves the plan, right? We can look at the, we can look at the second quarter, and it probably is important to have data like Tushar talked about, you know, uh, it's important to analyze the data and look at the data, but still start with a plan. And I think you're going to do a better job. Yeah. If you've got a goal that expires in six months from now, you shouldn't be worried about the market anyway. You should have all your money uh, in six month money. You know, if your goal is 15 years from now, then you don't give a crap what the next six months of the market are either because you've got 15 years. So, Amen, brother. Jason Mirabella is a guy who thinks a lot about the financial planning process and making sure that people start with the end in mind. And I'm really excited to introduce you to him today. His uh, website is Henfruit. We got to ask him, OG, about Henfruit. How do you come up with a name like Henfruit for your website? Uh, Henfruit.com. And he works in the Indianapolis area, but much like you, OG, works with people all over the United States and uh, really thinks a lot about the financial planning process. He does a lot of online work with videos and a podcast uh, that you can get directly from his website at hemfruit.com. So let's say hello and talk about the financial planning process with uh, Jason Mirabella. And Jason Mirabella joins us. Have a seat, man. How are you? I'm doing well, Joe. Thank you for having me. You know, first question, your site is Henfruit. 
Whenever I see a name like Henfruit, there's got to be a story behind the name. Not really. Um, oh, come on. I, <laughs> yeah. You know, I wanted something a little bit different. I didn't want to call myself, you know, Marabella Financial Planning or, you know, I wanted to create a brand that maybe appealed to a younger generation because I'm I, I focus on Generation X and Y. So I did some research. I thought about this concept around the nest egg and kind of a rethink of that, that nest egg concept. And, and hen fruit is a slang term. It's a 40 slang term for egg. So I kind of ran with it. You have, you're very opinionated about uh, the right way to do financial planning. And there's a lot of people that listen to this that uh, are curious about financial planning. OG and I, we get, we get letters constantly about the financial planning process and how it works. So walk me through first, somebody who's doing a financial plan the wrong way, Jason, what's the, what's the ugly underbelly of financial planning that you don't like? Well, I, I don't want to say that they're doing it wrong. I mean, I do it a different way. You know, I've been in the industry 17 years and I've just kind of switched this mindset probably three or four years ago. And I've seen it in you know the way that my clients react to it and, and the outcomes that they're getting. And it's really around this idea that financial planners generally or our industry focuses way too much on tactics, you know, maximizing investment returns, insurance, minimizing taxes as opposed to the things that actually drive somebody's success in life. We have an internet full of information about how to do things, right? Everybody has a blog and they're writing about, you know, how to set up a Roth IRA. One, I think the problem is, is that those type of things don't hold people's attention and get them to buy into a process that's lifelong. Most people don't have an interest in the tactics or the how behind financial planning. So I've really structured my process around looking at three areas of somebody's life that I think really drive success in somebody's life. Those are three things, uh, money mindset. So it's kind of the rules that people adhere to throughout their life. So, you know, things like social indifference and being frugal, a lot of the things in the, in the millionaire next door, things that I've witnessed on how people maintain motivation throughout their life so that they can put in the work to you know, have these profound outcomes. Yeah. Number two is you know having an awareness around your current situation and what truly motivates you and what you find important. I think that tactical goals are important and they're certainly a piece of the puzzle, but they don't motivate. I've seen a lot of people reach financial goals in my career. And the most meaningful ones are around lifestyle. You know, people measure their life based on how they're living it, what their their experience, right? Mm -hmm. And the accumulation of money doesn't necessarily, or I've seen drive like happiness and sense of well-being generally. So I, you know, in my process, I try to not talk so much about the how and the tactics. I actually try to as little as possible. Um, and we, we talk about what's important to them. What do they want their life to look like? And it really sets the stage for really meaningful conversations about, you know, how do we improve these standards? What are we what are we shooting for? How do we gap up your experience in life? You know, how do we go down to one income? How do we start that business? How do we spend more time with our kids? You know, it's it just creates a foundation for those type of meaningful conversations that I, you know, the first 12 to 13 years of my career, I just didn't see or just a much lesser version of that. Yeah, it, it well, it seems like if we discuss 
more what the actual goals are and what your priorities are and what what it is that you're feeling, you're much more likely to use the correct tool then. So instead of focusing on the tactic, is an exchange-traded fund good? Is a mutual fund good? Is permanent life insurance good? Oh, God, we get that one all the time. Is, you know, uh, like, are these things good? You're much more likely to choose the right thing if you don't start there, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, those decisions become so easy. You know, they become a very ancillary part of the journey, right? Because once you're firmly rooted in your value system and your day-to-day decisions and your kind of path to where you want to go is set based on what motivates you and what, you know, what the life that you want to create, the math stuff, what I call the math, just falls into place. Right. So rather than leading with it, and confusing people because it's it's always the first thing that you talk about because people don't generally like to talk about that stuff. You know, maybe they they do for a short period of time, but it's not going you're not going to get the buy in like you do when you talk about their life, their struggles, their challenges, you know, their vision of who they want to be. I want to go back to a second to this idea of tactics. Do you think it's that financial planners and financial advisors in the financial industry that talks about tactics all the time. And that's why the client thinks that when they come in, we're going to start, like, I don't know about for you. Let me, let me, I guess, change the question a little bit, Jason. I don't know about for you, but when I was a financial planner, people would come into my office, they'd sit down and they want to talk about the stuff, right? And that, just like you, that's the 19th thing I want to talk about. Well, maybe even 51st thing I want to talk about. And then we start talking about these goals and they have trouble getting into it. So is it client expectation? Is it industry expectation? Where do you think that starts? I think it's just easier. It's easier to sell a more, a process that's, you know, a little bit more based around hope, you know, rather than reality. Well, and what I mean by that is it's a very difficult conversation to get a person to buy into a process like, you know, asking themselves the tough questions about who they want to be and, you know, the relationship with money and all of those, all of those things. Right. So most, I think as an industry, the path of least resistance for people to take, you know, short-term action is something a little bit more, I'm going to say superficial. These aren't superficial things they are necessary part of the planning, but something that can be like, okay, I checked the box. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the other thing this, they're easily monetized, right. By our industry, right. the I, investments are easily monetized, insurance easily monetized, it takes more work. You basically have to deliver empathy at scale. And a lot of people, a lot of advisors just don't have that skill set because they're, you know, they come in, they're highly technical. So they want to create a technical experience for the client. Right. Right. But that's not necessarily what the client wants. I have people, too, that come in and want to talk about those sort of things. And I think it's because they've been trained to think that that's where the conversation is going to go anyway. Me, too. But I've seen the transformation when you do start you know, because these are the things that are really meaningful to them. You know, when you start talking about their kids and, and you know, spending more time with their kids and there's an excitement, you're tapping into their motivate, their internal motivation. And then they're, they're, it's kind of like um, it's what they needed, but it, they didn't know that they wanted kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it, it makes for a much more profound relation, a client advisor relationship. Yeah. And it produces, I think, far and away better lifestyle outcomes. So. Yeah. Well, it just creates a better plan. I mean, yep. just, yep. just, just across the board, just a much better plan. I'm totally with you. I'm sure doing planning when you're focusing on those three things that you talked about, that people leave your office, I think with a much better vision in their head of where they're headed 
The thing right. that the thing that I'm curious about, you know, you talked about aspirational visions, but what about fears? How does fear play into your discussions with new clients? Well, I think the the process itself reduces uncertainty because they have a clear vision of okay. So, so an example would be I, I talk about this concept of vacation shame, and and people walk <laughs> people people walk around. They go on vacation. If you don't have an awareness of your financial situation and you don't know where you stand, there's a lot of people I've talked to that that have vacation shame where they they don't know exactly how it's impacting their life. So they they get tight on their vacation and they can't fully enjoy it. You know, they sit down for dinner with their kids and the bill comes and it's like, oh, you know, should I be spending this much? I don't know. You know, they don't understand the trade-offs they're making in their financial life and they don't understand the impact of their day-to-day decisions on their overall financial well-being. So by going through that process, it eliminates shame around their financial decisions and, you know, conflicts and relationships because you're just laying it out on the table. You know, you're having very meaningful conversations with a husband and wife and it's very transparent. You know, the future is uncertain, right? We can only do so much and sure. I'm not going to promise to deliver on something that I can't deliver, right? I can't give them certainty. I'm not selling certainty. But what I can do is I can get them to the point where they feel like they're controlling the controllables they know exactly where they're headed. They know that their decisions are mapping to their values and their goals and where they want to go. And I think that produces some calm that it doesn't eliminate the fear, but it gets them to the point where it's they can cope with it and it doesn't impact their decisions. Yeah. Let, let's talk about controlling the controllables for a second because I like that. What's a piece that we can control? Well, it's different for everything, right? So investments, it's your fees, it's your diversification, it's your risk. It's, you know, things like uh, rebalancing to manage your risk over a long period of time. It's it's uh, getting taking the emotional decisions out of the equation. So you're um, saying that you can control the process. You can control exactly. the process. It's like identifying what you can control, especially on the tactical side. Sure. But things in your life, you know, controlling the controllables would be your day-to-day decisions. So it, not you know, making a commitment to, you know, spending within your means, making a commitment to understanding what's truly adding value to your life and what's not. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of fat in people's budgets. I don't like to use that word because I don't use traditional budgeting in my practice, but you know, having everything in your life truly adding value and then cutting out everything that isn't um, and the waste. And I think the only way you do that is really by understanding yourself and going through the process of of understanding where you want to be and and doing that work. Yeah, you know so, what I mean? It takes my yeah. process takes work. It's not for everybody because most people there's a lot of people out there that aren't you know it's collaborative. It takes work. So it's not like nobody that I work with is outsourcing their financial situation to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So. No, no, I think that and it's funny. I think a lot of people hire financial advisors and they want to do that. Uh, I've had that before. People like, "Here, money boy, take care of this stuff for me. I'll be back later and I'll kick <laughs> and I'll kick your butt if it didn't go exactly the way I wanted." By the way, I'm not going to really tell you which way I wanted it. <laughs> which yeah, that doesn't fly that doesn't fly with me. Yeah, yeah, not at all all it. And I think well, and I think there are advisors that perpetrate that myth too, like they're somehow the oracle that's going to explain you know what the stock market's going to do tomorrow or whatever. I like this idea of controlling the controllables. And it also seems like you're channeling one of our contributors, Paula Pant from Afford Anything, when you say, you know, focus on the stuff that you really want, your goals and your values and everything else. Everything else tossed aside. I think that makes a ton of sense. You said, I can't let this go because people are screaming at their device right now going, 
You say you don't like budgets. You don't like traditional budgeting. And my budgeting nerds are screaming right now. So uh, uh, what do you like? Well, I use a uh, what I call a cash management system. So I think traditional budgeting generally looks backwards. It's backward looking. It takes work. It takes a lot of work. So people, you know, I've seen a lot of people do budgeting for three to six months and then they stop because there's a commitment behind going back and understanding, you know, what you did. I use a bucketing approach. I use three buckets. One is your past commitments. Um, the second bucket is what I call your control bucket, which is your present choices. And then the third bucket is your dynamic bucket, which is future needs and wants. And this was a system developed by First Step Cash Management. And it really allows them to have control over their decision making rather than kind of, I feel like uh, budget is kind of a live your life and then kind of look back and see what you did wrong. Right. So we're I'm, I'm trying to get clients to constantly move forward, uh, work in incremental wins, because I think that's how we make progress is you give people the opportunity to have success on an incremental basis. I think traditional budgeting puts people in a position to fail because they didn't meet their own expectation. I don't like to do that. And I think because of that, I've seen a lot more people integrate sort of a frugal lifestyle rather than, you know, doing traditional budgeting. You know, for some people that like to get in the weeds, I, I'm not going to say don't budget, <laughs> but I don't think it's necessary. And it's not something once people go through my process and they say, oh, thank you know, thank God I, I don't have to count my pennies and keep track of everything on a monthly basis. And they just have one or two jobs per month, it's less work for them and it's more sustainable. What do you mean by incremental wins? Like, give me an example of somebody that recently said an incremental win. Yeah. So I think I'm generalizing here, but I think that a financial planning industry puts people to the decision to try to guess who they're going to be and what they're going to want to do in the next five, 10, 20, 30 years. And I'm, I'm sure that if you're like most people, Five years ago, even five years ago, I'm a much different person. And, and 10 years ago, I was living in a different state. I was just a totally different person. So yeah. what I try to do in my practice and specifically is I set incremental goals and I focus on the next three to five things. So when I go through a planning process with somebody, we don't worry about the plan. I never deliver a comprehensive financial plan. I deliver micro plans over time so that at each meeting they can have a win at least one win to keep them motivated, right? If you have these high level kind of in the clouds goals like retirement and you know accumulating X number of dollars in 10, 20, 30 years, it's almost like setting a weight loss goal uh, where you're you're trying to lose 80 pounds and if you do, uh, until you lose 80 pounds, you you don't feel like you've won. If, if that makes sense? Yeah. Am I explaining that? Right? So I work that into my process to keep people motivated. And I think there's some science behind the way I deliver the process. And over over a 12-month period, you know, you, you've done one to three things to move you towards the life you want to live. And by doing that, at the end of the year, you've done 30 or 40 things to improve your situation. So that that's the way I think about it. No, well, it, it's funny. I think you're underselling your process when you say you think there's some science behind it, obviously. <laughs> I mean, you're key right right in the middle of behavioral science and keeping people motivated and because behavior is where it's at. And I love I love how your whole process is all about behavior, behavior, behavior. Control what you can control. Control your behavior and, and the outcome will follow. Uh, your site is, is Henfruit. You've got 
a podcast there. I noticed you've got videos there. You've got all kinds of stuff. What's going on new at Hemp Fruit? I just rolled out my uh, True Wealth Method, which is a, a specific program to take somebody through the aspects of planning that we just talked about, money mindset, awareness, and setting meaningful goals, and then the systems in your life to make sure that that your decisions are mapping to the first two. I've created an e-course, a free e-course. I call it a five-day True Wealth Challenge where people go through and they apply this method into their life. And uh, I've actually rolled out a new ebook uh, that goes along with the challenge. So my goal really now is to really add as much value to people's lives as possible and, and try to get people thinking about planning in a way that maybe they haven't, you know, haven't thought about in the past and retrain them to think in a way that I think will result in better outcomes for them. Jason Mirabella, too bad you got nothing going on, man. Well, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm thanks, trying. thanks a lot for hanging out with us. No problem. I appreciate uh, you having me. Hey, everyone. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, here with my favorite part of the show, my trivia. Before I get to it, though, do you want to hear a joke about a piece of paper? You know what? Just never mind. It's terrible. Instead, do you know why the toilet paper couldn't cross the road? Because it was stuck in a crack. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm, I'm going to be here all day, folks. I know, my jokes are really funny. So I wondered, how much money could I make if instead of spending my time in Joe's mom's basement, I took my talent to the big city? So here's today's trivia question. What do writers on late night comedy shows make to write great jokes, almost as good as mine, or really any jokes at all? I'll be back with the answer right after this. I raise your hand. Do you drive an extra five minutes in traffic to save just a few pennies at the gas pump? Well, when's the last time you spent five minutes trying to save on the big things like auto loans? Lucky for you, we brought in Nick Clements from Magnify Money with a few tips on saving money if you find yourself financing a car. If you're buying a new car, there's really no better deal than the 0% financing that would be offered by the manufacturer. The issue really starts to happen if you don't qualify for the manufacturer's financing or you're buying a used car. And in those cases, I, I think it's a very good idea to always shop online and get a low rate before you walk onto the lot. Uh, chances are high that the dealer will beat it, but if you don't walk onto the lot with a low rate to begin with, you know you won't get the best deal. Thanks, Nick. More than just auto loans, Magnify Money's the perfect spot for reviewing just how well or not your checking and savings accounts are performing. You might just decide to switch banks. And guess what? Why stick with just one bank at all when you can use magnifymoney.com to always find best in class stuff? Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Average person saves $450 in interest when they go there. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Here's a question. What's keeping you away from investing in real estate? Over my career, I repeatedly hear that time, you know, the time it takes to find renters, property managers, and to fix problems and stress. What if you don't find a good property manager? What if you don't find a renter? Those are two of the biggest factors keeping people away from investing in real estate. We talked to Gary Beasley, CEO of Roofstock, about how the team at Roofstock are helping you take back a good night's sleep. There's really no way to sell real estate today, rental homes with tenants in place. What we did with Roofstock was create the first way to do it. How's that for an advantage? 
Roofstock's online marketplace makes it easier than ever to buy, sell, and own tenant-occupied investment properties in top rental markets across the country. You own the house, but Roofstock handles as much or as little of the headache-inducing issues that you've come to expect with renting, but that doesn't have to happen if you partner with the right team. Best of all, Roofstock certified properties are backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Check them out at stackybedjamins.com forward slash Roofstock. That's stackybedjamins.com forward slash Roofstock. Everyone, Joe's mom's neighbor Doug back here celebrating National Tell a Joke Day with today's trivia question. The question was, how much money can a funny writer make on a late night TV show? The answer, according to Splitsider.com, new late night television writers can make 3700 bucks a week and they only work 13 weeks a year. Sounds like a pretty sweet gig to me. So check this one out. Why should Captain Obvious have kids? because his greatest skill is being a parent. Hey, late night hiring staff, my phone lines are open. See ya. I think Doug needs to keep his day job. Is this a job? <laughs> I hope not. We haven't paid him anything. Have, so. have, have we hired that guy? Because if so, we've made a serious, serious mistake. Serious error. What do they say? Uh, hire slow and fire fast. I think we're failing on both accounts. <laughs> But you were on it. $48,000 is the uh, final number for people that didn't do the math on that. You know, you don't work a ton of what you work 13 weeks a year, but you know, making 48000 in 13 weeks gives you a lot of time to do other stuff. It's not a, not a bad gig. Yeah. Yeah. To stand up or whatever. And you, you talk to a lot of comedians online. Uh, well, I don't talk to them. I was going to say, I don't, I've never talked to a comedian online. You, you, sounds- you hear their story online and they talk about how they'll write for, you know, some shows and then they'll also go on tour. And so it leaves them time to make extra money. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. You know, our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency are disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most, your family and your time. They were the first life insurance startup that's also wholly owned by the industry giant Mass Mutual to create a high quality, affordable term life insurance policy that you can purchase entirely online. Qualified healthy applicants, they even get to skip the medical exam. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote and learn about life insurance the modern way. And today we're going to throw out the lifeline to our friend Sam. Say hello, Sam. Hi, Bill and OJ. This is Sam. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant Joe and OG. How you guys doing? I have a couple of questions for y'all. Uh, the first one is, can you name the show with this theme song? Okay, now that I've dated myself, I have another question. My second question is, how do I calculate the amount needed on a second-to-die policy for estate planning purposes. There are just so many variables in the future, and um, I find myself really perplexed on this. Okay, thanks a lot. You guys are awesome. Holy cow. Is that a (laughs) question's a bombshell? This is is a joke. This is for the joke episode. Sam's writing us a joke. How do I calculate (laughs) the benefit benefit of a second-to-die policy? Uh, Well, we we have to explain a lot of what he said. Best of luck to you. But um, but hold on. Usually, usually. Hold on. Before you get to that, do you know that song? 
I, I don't know. It's something like The Greatest American Hero. Uh, no. And it was a TV show in the uh, in the early 80s, I think. I'm dating myself too, Sam. So winner chicken dinner, I think there. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Is that what it was? I think so. I think it was Greatest American Hero. I'd have done well with Airwolf or MacGyver. Let's talk about a second-to-die policy. What the heck is a second-to-die life insurance policy? I want to talk about Airwolf. <laughs> or, Airwolf. or the A-Team. Oh, the A-Team was cool. We would we would <laughs> all, watch the A-Team. the same thing. You know, we do snippets of the show, uh, Shannon does, on our Twitter feed and on Facebook. And so they t- she takes, uh, Richie creates, uh, our producer creates snippets of the show, and then Shannon puts them out there. And they're just this little squiggly line of us talking until you hit the, uh, you know, hit the volume so you can listen to it. And somebody said that it looked like uh, Kit from Knight Rider. Yeah. Yeah, where you could see that, squ- see that squiggly line when he talked to, yeah. what's his name? Michael. Yeah. All right. What's second to die policy? So life insurance, this is a life insurance policy. Life insurance is kind of one of those things that everybody kind of gets, right? You, you pay some premiums. When you die, whoever's listed as a beneficiary, if you still got the policy in force, gets a check. But this is a quirky life insurance policy. So yeah, I know that's what's all right. You know, I know you're setting the stage too. So I'm just kind of, you know, giving some context. So a second to die policy insures two people and it pays on the wait for it. Second. Oh, death. Oh. And you say, well, why would I want to do that? It's all about probability. So if if Joe has a 50% chance of getting hit by lightning today, and I have a 50% chance of getting hit by lightning today, together, what's our chance of getting hit by lightning? Um, Both of us. The answer is um, 25%, right? 50 times 50 is really 25. <laughs> you were going to say 100, weren't you? Well, so, no. But yeah. anyway. Anyways, all right. So a second to die policy insures two people. It pays on the second death. It's exponentially less expensive than a regular life insurance policy. And traditionally, they're used for really kind of two purposes, always in estate planning, but uh, usually to pay the estate tax if you think you're going to be over the estate tax limit, which these days is $5.34 million, I think, per person. So if you do it right, you can... Not pay uh, state taxes on ten, you know, point seven, give or take ten point seven million, and or if you want to leave like a large amount of money to charity or some other type of thing, you can really kind of give that money away in the form of an insurance policy pretty cheaply rather than just giving them the cash. So, how do you figure it out? Well, that's a that's a fantastic question. It has everything to do with all of your other goals. It has everything to do with uh, what the estate tax might look like in the future, right? We have absolutely no idea what it is going to be. We know what it is today, and we know what the law says for estate tax is going to be for the future, but that doesn't prevent them from changing it in the future, right? And from, I don't know, about 1997 to 2007, we had, what, a half a dozen estate tax changes, all the way from zero estate tax for anybody right. to 600000 Everything above 600000 you had to pay 55% on. So, so it's really up to Congress. But... When it comes to planning from an estate planning standpoint, you can only plan for the information that you have today, right? You can't, you just go, well, I, it's just, here's how it's written today. Here's what our plan is going to be. And if in 20 years from now they change it, well, then you have to rework the plan a little bit. No different than financial planning. And so once you have all those pieces put together, you can figure out, okay, my estate is worth $20 million. I can shield $10 million of it from the federal government. 
ergo, I got to pay 55% on the other 10. So I'm going to have to write a check for five and a half million dollars. And my heirs are going to have to write a check for five and a half million dollars upon my and my spouse's death. So maybe all that money is tied up in real estate, hard to sell. Maybe it's a illiquid stock position or something. And the IRS doesn't care. They're still going to want their check. So pretty complicated stuff, but um, uh, fun nevertheless. That That's the exciting things about financial planning. I don't know about you, but for me, that was the... That was the stuff that was really kind of the exciting stuff. It, no, it really More was. complex problems. Really yeah, and when people talk things. about life insurance, this is what drives me crazy when they say, well, there's only one reason you need life insurance, and that's because to protect against, you know, one... No, 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 no. There's this no, whole yeah, other circus. There's yeah, you write a check for $2 million, you get a $5.5 million tax-free benefit, you know, in our example here, and kids can pay the IRS and... Keep your business intact. You don't have to sell out or you don't have to liquidate your rental properties in the market decline or whatever the case. Yeah, there's a whole different uh, game that um, involves. This is like financial planning 601. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this stuff, this is beyond this is this is like your capstone course in your master's program. This truly is. I mean, you said it earlier and I'll reiterate, no joke. This was the fun stuff when it came to financial planning where you're like, I am truly doing some awesome and if you here. do it the right way, using like this tool, he's talking about a second to die life insurance policy. But when you do this complex stuff, this is where you have a really big impact, right? And you did too. And this is where we do, where it's like, I just saved you $800,000 in taxes by doing this. Well, Sam, even though obviously we can't directly uh, answer that quite because like you said, OG, it depends on a lot of factors. That's uh uh, that's kind of what you got to think about. Thanks for the lifeline. If you'd like us to throw the lifeline out to you, here's what happens. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. You just go there and bam, you press a button. If your computer has, or your device, your phone, whatever it might be, has a, has a microphone, you leave your question there and uh, then you get on the lifeline. I have a postscript for that question also, if I may. This is why you have to make sure everybody on your team works together, right? So you need to have a really great estate planning attorney, a really great financial planning person, and a really great tax person all working together to help solve this this problem. This is not something that you you know sit down on a Saturday afternoon with Mint.com and pull up the answer. You know what I mean? Like this is this is a long process. Yeah, anyway. because, because they're all going to be involved anyway. Yeah, they have to be at and some they point. They're going to be involved. Perspectives. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> and by the way, there was a there was a time with a client early on in my career where I didn't do that, where I uh, I was doing it myself with the client, and the the CPA not on the team totally came in and wrecked everything, and it wasn't wrecked because I was wrong. It was wrecked because the CPA hadn't been informed and felt, in, this is my opinion, felt hurt. And decided, yeah. nope, I'm going to take this whole plan and I'm going to wreck it. And it was purely an ego thing. And it mm. became a big, what we call a pissing contest. And it was annoying. <laughs> so to avoid all that, I learned very quickly, very quickly yeah. in my career, you're going to do something complex, man. Let's get everybody uh, on the table. And then it worked out great. What, what's that? Sun Tzu, the art of war, like the best battle is the one that's never fought. Right? So looking at the battlefield ahead of time, not to use military analogy, but that's... Uh, Something that always enters my mind there. All right. We also get letters, and uh, Doug brought down the mail, and today's letter comes to us from Thomas. Thomas says, a two-part question regarding finance maximization. My wife and I have saved $80,000 toward a home, $30,000 of that $80,000 toward a home, second car, 16 to 20, 
an emergency fund, 30. By living in the in-laws basement for over a year and a half. So welcome. Uh, the water's warm. <laughs> it's, we know, we know your feeling. Uh, so first of all, high five from a kindred spirit. As someone obsessed with financial maximization and efficiency, what's the best long-term strategy for storing the emergency fund and approaching the car purchase? Currently, I plan on keeping the emergency fund in its current home, Capital One money market account at 1.1% a year. I'm also considering a Vanguard short-term bond fund, Vanguard short-term bond ETF, BSV, or a total bond market ETF, BND ETF. Regarding the car, I'm torn between writing the check and foregoing the credit check and finance paperwork, but is it worth the extra dollars if I can reasonably get a higher return on the money relative to loan interest in a money market, account, bonds, et cetera? Thanks, Thomas. Good stuff, Thomas. So, OG, best way to get that uh, car and with the emergency fund. Well, so you're not going to get a better interest rate on money market or cash than you would pay in interest unless you get a 0% interest on the car. So if you can get 0% financing, cool, have at it. Everything above that these days is one and a half, give or take. So you're not going to make any money. So I'd write the check or get 0%. Those are your two options. As far as the emergency fund, it's fine where it is. You know, if you want to pick up a couple of extra points, do the magnify money thing and take a peek over there and see if it, see if it makes sense to add another third of a point of interest on $30,000. You're talking about what, 90 bucks. So kind of depends whether or not uh, you think it's worth it. But if you're into maximization, $90 is $90. And I would never in a million years put my short-term cash reserve money in a bond fund, regardless of what ticker symbol it is or what the duration of the bond fund is. It's just too much opportunity for it to go down. I might do it, but if I were going to do it, I would have what I think of as a two-tier cash reserve, which is I look at the biggest check that I've ever written or that I could conceivably write. I double that number. I put that number in savings. And then the second tier, I I would feel a little comfortable using something like a Ginny Mae, uh, knowing the fact that it could be, or, or your short-term bond fund option. I myself, I prefer the Ginny Mae to the short-term bond option, but you know, my propensity for risk is a little higher than some people's realize that if you do my suggestion versus OGs, you're introducing the concept of needing the money at the same time that it goes down. But if you have two tiers, the chance of that happening, you can diminish significantly and garner a higher rate of return on the Ginny Mae fund than you could on just the regular savings. But, um, but yeah. Okay. Two different so, opinions, Thomas. Yeah. One of them is right. Uh, <laughs> thanks, uh, Thomas, for the question. <laughs> if you've got a, I know what you're insinuating there. If, if you've got a question for the show, definitely want to go with the lifeline. That's always the shorter cue, but we also are doing letters episodes more frequently these days. So head to stackybenjamins.com on the top of our website, you will find a link that says questions and just click that and you'll see all the ways to get a hold of us uh, so that you can have your question answered by us on the show. And obviously these are for entertainment purposes only. We don't know you, but we can try to help start pointing you in the right direction with things you should think about. One thing you should think about, how's that for a transition, huh? Probably the best one in a long time. Is leaving us a review on the show because reviews help people learn what this show actually is about. And what it's not about, people that think that we're a hard-edge financial show, got some learning to do. People looking for lightweight personal finance, well, then we're probably more your show. Or listening to, because you want to be introduced to a lot of different topics instead of just one. More the first word in personal finance than the last word. 
And our next review comes to us from John Licks Rocks in Oklahoma. John Licks Rocks in OK. Oh, my. I hope his name is John Licks and not that John Licks Rocks. Uh, but anyway, uh, five stars. Then maybe they have tasty rocks in Oklahoma. Have you ever licked a rock in Oklahoma? I have never licked a rock in Oklahoma. I'm going to, I'm going to go there and test it out and see what it's like. We should ask Shannon, our social media guru and community I'm sure manager. She would not volunteer to do that assignment. She lives but, in Oklahoma. Uh, we can ask her if they have tasty rocks. We don't know. Well-produced show with a lot of guests to help you navigate the world of finances. If you're looking to learn something, then look a little further. Joe and OG dish out nuggets to listeners and can help you wonder if you really learn from them or the sage wisdom of their trivia guru and mom from upstairs. Great show. Keep it up. Thanks a ton, John. And uh, see how easy that was? Very simple review. And even if uh, John licks rocks, he still kept enough brain cells <laughs> to write us a f- fantastic review that's going on mom's refrigerator. Lastly, if you're looking for good financial help in your corner, OG's taking on clients. And to find out more about how he can help you and to get on his calendar, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G. So if you know you need help in your corner and want to find out what it takes, uh, stackybedjamins.com forward slash O, G, and uh, that'll lead you to his calendar. All right. Coming up on Friday, fantastic roundtable. Can't wait for you to hear that. Go Stack some Benjamins. We'll talk to you later. So what did we learn today, folks? Well, first, regardless of the Labor Department ruling, what do you do if your advisor tells you to save more into your retirement plan? Think first about whether that advice actually helps you. Then worry about how it helps your advisor. Second, take Jason Mirabella's advice. Stop focusing on products first and instead spend more time on your goals and what they'll cost. The investments and insurances pick themselves much more easily if you handle your financial plan beginning with an end in mind. But the big lesson? Yeah, I'm going to strongly recommend that you don't tell Joe's mom the one about the with the big in a bar. She might just threaten to wash your mouth out with soap, young man. Special thanks to Jason Mirabella for joining us in the basement. You'll find out more about Jason's practice at henfruit.com or just check out our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Also, special thanks to Tushar Yadav from iShares for joining us. Head to iShares.com or our show notes page for more on their market research and exchange-traded funds. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. And I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you why chicken coops only have two doors. If they had four doors, they'd be chicken sedans. Oh, oh no. All right, I can't end on that one. How about this? Why did the Clydesdale give the pony a glass of water? because he was a little horse.
Yeah, okay, right. We can't end on that one. How about this? I used to have a job at a calendar factory, but I got sacked because I took a couple of days off. All right, Joe, can I stop? I got to go back to my own material. This is ridiculous. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. For those of you new to Stacking Benjamins, you found this area that we don't talk about at all. Some people call it dessert. If you have to talk about it, call it dessert, but do not. uh, What happens here stays here. So, and we talk about all kinds of different things and financial planning generally isn't one of them. Every once in a while we do, but usually it's movies, video games, podcasts, uh, things we think are funny, you know, working your kids in the yard too hard. Uh, in the incredible heat so that uh, Child Protective <laughs> Services comes to your house. I would, <laughs> Luckily, nobody knows where you live, OG, so that can't happen. But I got this thing that I want to talk about that I just don't get. I just don't understand it. And and by the way, this topic might not be appropriate for children. So uh, it's we're not going to talk about it in a way that's rated anything. But your kid might ask some questions. So uh, if, if you want to skip the... Oh, boy. If you want to skip the after show... Uh, until you might then. want to skip it anyway. I, I could see you dancing around something that's uh, it's gonna it's gonna cause you to go off the deep end here. I a can co- see. I just don't get it. Uh, here it comes. What co- don't you get, Joe? I'll, co- I'll bite. What a- don't you get, Joe? Okay, a couple weeks ago, we had this thing show up in the news that on one of the on one of the news channels, one of the commentators, unsolicited, sent a photo of his stuff. To 14 women. And, 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 and I was in, I was in a Facebook group chat recently where we were having the same conversation and my friend Mike and I, I I brought it up. You guys were sending your junk to 14 women. Is that the conversation you were having? The conversation was why only 14? (laughs) If you're going to go, go big, man. No, my conversation is like, what leads you to think, Hey, I know that she's never, ever once thought that, that, that she and I were like compatible thing. Right. Yeah. But but I think if I know it'll push over the edge, (laughs) like I would, has there ever been, and and maybe, maybe there has been, maybe there's been a woman out there. There's gotta be like, I don't think there is like, I hear about this. This is just, this is just what men think. I hear about this enough times though, guys doing it. That there must be some success formula somewhere that I haven't seen. Going, hey, dude, guess what? She doesn't like you now. It's this, a thousand to one odds. This is the key. You send out a thousand pictures of your, and uh, and one says yes. Like, like is there's got to be some, like, it's almost like these, these uh, you know, these spam emails you get. I think to myself, I'm like, who the hell 
Who the hell responds to these scam emails? But somebody's got to do it or the scammers wouldn't keep doing it, right? I don't think that's the same. You don't think it's the same deal? I think that's the same analogy. Yeah. I just can't imagine sending a picture of my hoo-ha to somebody and having a woman go, "Uh, what are you doing later? Well, now I'm interested. What are you doing later? (laughs) Like, oh. Especially your (laughs) hoo-ha. It just, I don't understand. And if you're smart enough to be somebody who's put together a career, a reasonable career for a number of years, right? You're smart to navigate your way to the national media is not an easy thing. Or if we think about that Anthony Weiner dude, who's, who's, yeah, wasn't he a governor too? Who is, who is aptly named? No, uh, he was a congressperson. He's a congressman, but I thought he was. Or he's running. He was he was running for governor. And at that point, he'd already once been like, you know, he'd already done it. He did it like a couple, three more times afterwards. Like, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, he'd already done it before. And his wife decided to stand by him. She, I think, has divorced him since then. But but his wife like stood by him, goes, well, you know, that's what just what guys do. They just snapshots of their junk and send it out to people. I'm standing by my man. I, I, I don't get it. I don't I don't understand. Guys smart it, enough it, to make it all the way there. Thing that you have to like tell your kids about now. I mean, at some point in time, you have to like you seriously have to tell your kids, right? Like, hey, so don't do this, dummy. Yeah. You know, like your sons and daughters, like don't. And at some point, at it's some the po- internet forever. At some point, the naked pictures always show up, don't they? At some point, they always show up. Like, yeah. oh, well, we did those in the privacy of our own home, and. uh you know, it's been nine years since I did that. And the the dude just decided he'd finally post them or the woman decided she would, they, they show up later. Yeah. Like the it, internet never forgets. It, it, it oh, whoa. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So send all your pics to Joe. <laughs> at Stacking so. Oh my God, don't do that. <laughs> if I get a bunch of pics, because. <laughs> oh, that's going to be funny. I know it's oh, don't, now. oh, don't, 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 I will post that crap. Did you, <laughs> did you see the woman? Did you see the woman that when she got one, this is a story last week. I think that, uh, I think, I think Shannon, because she's on the internet all day, you know, doing our social media stuff. Uh, Shannon said to me about this woman that, that got, she got sick enough of getting the pics. She sent it to the dude's mom. Nice. She said, Hey, this is what your son just sent me. Your son just sent me this. Aren't you proud of your kid? That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. That's, that's maybe the grossest, uh, so after show we've All right. That wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I I didn't know what you're going to go after, but, uh, yeah, don't, uh, don't do that. Don't send junk pics. Yeah. We're not trying to teach anything on the Stacky Benjamin show, but please don't, don't do that. that. (laughs) We'll teach you that. Yeah. Don't do that. All right. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning. Because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees 
are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy federal website, resources like best cities after service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.